Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome, everyone, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little bit deeper into life than you may be able to do on your own. We are the show that is grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit, so we hope to offer you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. So who's feeling risky? Anybody feeling risky? I am. Okay, good. You've come to the right place. Thank you. First of all, my name is Callie Alpert. I'm here in the central Hudson Valley with my dear friend, co-host and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg on the West Coast. Nice to see you today. We're both going to take a huge risk. Yes, we are. It's nice to see you. Even though our listeners can't see us, we can see each other because it's our way of communicating across the country. So it helps. It helps for us to have that extra element of communication. So how much risk do you all take in your life? Have you jumped out of an airplane? No. Have you <laughs> never? I haven't done it either, but I know I thought, thought about of it. it. I've thought about it plenty yeah. of times. Maybe on our 80th or 90th birthdays, like uh, <laughs> President Bush, right? Um, have you moved to a new country lately? We actually have um, dear mutual friends that did that. Perhaps you're risk adverse and pre prefer comfort and familiarity. Risks don't have to come from adrenaline rushes or betting the farm in Vegas. They can. We can also engage in small risks every day by the way we make decisions, change our routines, and tackle challenges. So today... Are you a risk taker or do you play it safe? We will discuss different versions of risk taking, how to find small ways to raise your risk quotient every day, and why taking risks big and small can make your life a happier one. Mm. Sound good? Sign me up. Okay, good. You have no choice. <laughs> so let's talk first about the concept of risk. Okay. Right? What is it that, um, like when you, what comes to mind when you think about the word risk and how risky would you, or how much of a risk taker do you think you are in general? I think I take risks in certain contexts. Mm -hmm. I think I'm really good at taking risks like in sports. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always been good at, uh, as a matter of fact, what reminds me, I used to take um, a men's group, which I had for about seven years. Mm-hmm whitewater rafting every year oh yeah and uh then we would see how risky people felt when they hear the churning of the water coming about a mile away and people start wanting to jump out of the boat <laughs> so those kinds of risks i'm really pretty good at what about yeah i don't it's I never um, considered myself a risk taker. I've had a lot of other people tell me that I'm brave, which I guess sort of coincides with risk. And I've never thought of myself as a risk taker. It's not a word or an adjective that I've you know, used to define me among many, many adjectives right. over the years. But I guess when you're, you know, I'm, I'm definitely willing to try new things. I am definitely somebody who's like, I've traveled the world alone. Um, I haven't done a lot of adrenaline junkie sort of risk taking. Um, and I think that I've also, and I know you, this speaks to you as well. We're both pretty good at taking the smaller risks and we'll get into this a little bit further into the show that have more to do with, um, intellectual and emotional risks, the smaller right. things, the ones that have more subtlety. I just want to say that if anybody would like to join us, and I can see we already have a caller or two that are starting to line up in our stack here, uh, we'd love to hear from you if you want to share some stories, if you'd like to get some guidance or advice. The number is 
So what is it about taking risks that can help us to grow? Like, what is it? Why do we care? Why should well, we care? I want to answer that, but now I'm being flooded with the, the risks that I didn't want to take. Oh, okay. So can I mention that first? Yeah, sure. Oh, good. I'm going to take a risk. We're very, we're very nonlinear here. <laughs> Go for it. As much as I, I always try to keep us linear, the producer and me, and you're more free, free flow. So go for it. Yeah. So what I remember is the difficulty I had in social relationships, telling people what I needed. Uh -huh. And I was a placator for most of my life. Mm -hmm. And that made me very, very risk averse. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't willing to really expand my experience with people and actually jump into what I thought of as rejection. Mm -hmm. So I'm answering the question. Some of the things that happen when we think about risks are being rejected, falling on our face, mm -hmm. being a failure, mm -hmm. right? The risk of risk. The risk of risk, risk averse, mm -hmm. right? Right. So that was my kind of M.O. for probably half of my life. Mm. So I can relate to both sides of this. Yeah, I can too. I mean, as you know, we've talked about pretty openly in the show in terms of like taking risk with expressing needs. And we'll get into some more specific examples a little bit into the show. Um, but I definitely relate to that. The idea of like finding your voice, that can right. be a great risk for people too. So we're talking about risks, both large and small. Um, the ones that have more nuance, the ones that are, you know, have more subtlety to them as well. Um, when I was younger also, you know, as a kid, I was a very fearful kid and I, yeah, I don't think I, I, I was just, I was in a lot of fear and nervousness around a lot of things. So while I don't have a conscious memory of like feeling like I didn't take risks, cause when you're a kid, you're kind of just in your skin, you're not as self, um, you know, aware, you're not witnessing yourself so much. Um, but it really wasn't until I went to college or right before that, when I was in a girl state competition, I went to rec represent my County from high school to do this sort of faux gubernatorial um, thing that they do in every state. Um, and I went to a college and I was like away from my home for the first time that I remember really opening up and just feeling um, a sense of excitement about the unknown. But until then, so, you know, late bloomer on a lot of levels. So we definitely I was a late share. bloomer too, Callie. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> we share, we share a lot of those things. Um, so before we get into it, we have, we actually have a caller. Let's bring this person on the line and then we'll get deeper into our conversation. Caller, are you there? I think so. You are here. Hi. What's your name and where are you calling from? This is Maris from Florida. Hello, Maris from Florida. Hi, Hi Callie. Hi, Callie. Hi, Steve. I Hello. have to tell you. hear from you. I have to tell you, if I don't take risk, I'll die. <laughs> that sort of sums up. <laughs> so in what form, did you always know that about yourself or is this a recent revelation? No, I've always known this. Like, I was the one in grade school that was caught smoking cigarettes, you know, and all the way through up until <laughs> I'm now well into my 50s. And the only thing I won't do is jump out of an airplane. That's the mm -hmm. only thing I won't do. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have risk, it's kind of like, I guess the best way to put it, it's like that adrenaline. Mm -hmm. So there is a... And Steve, maybe you could talk about this. That isn't there a physiology or you know a physical thing about it? There are, yeah. It's a endorphins and adrenaline both. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like does you know, that does taking risks keep you uh, young and alive and vital? You know, I never really thought of it. Uh, maybe it, it it's just more about yeah. Yeah, it's like I, I recently I, re, I recently made a big move, and it really didn't take me very long to decide to do it. It was like, yeah, it let's didn't do take it you now. long, or it did take you long. Did not. Mm-hmm. 
And do you think that's because you knew what the benefits were or because you know that you had the cojones to push yourself out of your comfort zone and try something new? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was like time. It's like experiencing new things, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a high. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I, um, you know, as I think about this topic, again, like kind of harkening back to what I said earlier that I, it's not an adjective I would use for myself as a you know, risk taker, <laughs> but in terms of being experiential and exploratory, um, again, not to like get into the semantics, that's definitely something that um, definitely makes me feel vital too. But it sounds like for you, uh, if I'm hearing correctly, that it was at least historically more about the adrenaline rush than it is about the kind of pushing your, like stretching your psyche or have you never even really differentiated it was between it was a com- I mean, it was a combination. And, and mm-hmm. certainly when I was younger, I took risks with drugs and alcohol and things like that, you know, yeah. um, whatnot. But now I'm not talking about that. It's more, it's kind of like if I take a risk, it's, it's like getting a new education of oh, just new things. You know, it's, it's an adventure. It is an adventure. I completely relate to that, and I love that kind of definition. And so that's one of the things that, one of the reasons Callie and I wanted to talk about this subject, because risks keep us open to the world, keep us growing, uh, kind of push us into new experiences, new parts of ourselves, and that's what you're saying. So it's a great reinforcement for the show. Yeah, I say everybody should do it. Uh, Okay, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling and sharing that, too. Keep taking risks. Spread the word. Risks are the rage. All right. Thank you for being in the radio world, you guys. Thank you. Thank thank you for joining us today. Thanks for listening. Appreciate that. Bye. Bye. Um, I love that. It's interesting because again, you know, when I think of like the big risks, like jumping out of an airplane, just as our example, or people that, you know, um, do free climbing or race in, you know, sports cars or things that are really, or take, you know, rides in amusement parks, none of which I really relate to. Although every once in a while, when I get an adrenaline rush, I think this is really fun. I could do this more. It's just not something I pay, I foster too much or pay too much attention Mm -hmm. to. Um, but in terms of experiencing life and feeling like a desire to stretch, you know, Uh um, or like Maris just said, you know, in the last few years, I've moved a few times for work, which was not, it, it dictated my need to move. Um, but then you sort of remember when you're in the middle of it, that there's a great pride that you can take in putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and trying to make it work and figure it out for yourself. There really is. You don't feel that way when you're first facing it. You know, it's like you could be a nervous wreck knowing that you need to change jobs or change locations or change relationships. Um, And then when you're in it and have moved through it, it's easy to look back and think, wow, that was really a big accomplishment. And look how that stretching really helped me grow. It's like an achievement. It is. So if I go back to whitewater rafting. Yeah. Even though it's so frightening. I mean, really capital F (laughs) frightening at times if you're going on big big water Um, once you get through it you're yahooing all over the place Mm -hmm. and you feel so revitalized and good about yourself and I think that comes from uh, certain kinds of risks that we take but the other thing I think we wanted to talk about and I may be out of order here but we wanted to talk about sometimes how difficult it is to take the risks of looking at yourself. Yeah, that could perhaps be the biggest risk of all, or the one that um, the the one that's the most universal, um, sh- universally shared fear that Isn't humans it? is looking in the mirror and sitting with yourself alone in a dark room for a while and getting to know all your little inner caverns. Absolutely, and there are a lot of them, aren't there? It, I've I've stopped counting. For me personally. <laughs> <laughs> and and even people who seem to be, or uh, one would say, that person is very courageous. Mm. You could be a fireman, a policeman, a first responder. At the same time, that very courageous man or woman could have a very difficult time 
looking at themselves and some of the fears they have, maybe about intimacy or -hmm. about self-esteem. And so this is a tricky subject. Mm -hmm. You never know what's coming along. (laughs) <laughs> but I do, I do love, and that's always, you know, our intention with these shows, because a lot of these topics have been talked about. They're not necessarily fresh topics often, but we like to do a little reframe or at least offer our listeners a, a new perspective or um, a new definition of the word or a new place where you're, in your lives you can look for these types of subjects. And so I think the way you just characterize that is perfect. It's, uh, it's remembering, again, the risks, large and small, the, the obvious ones are the ones we've already established. The smaller ones can be anything from speaking up to somebody that you haven't felt comfortable speaking up to before, starting therapy, starting a spiritual Ooh, practice. God, that would scare me to death. <laughs> would it scare you if you ever had to go to therapy? Well, I've been to therapy and it scared <laughs> me to death. Does it scare you as a side to being the psychotherapist now? Does that scare you? No, that doesn't scare me. Being okay, a patient okay. scares me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really, uh, cracking it open, you know, I think about so many people and and, well, me, I mean, I just think about times in my life, um, where I wasn't ready to, you know, to, to crack open the things, right. To reveal and to, yeah, now I'm completely the opposite. Now I'm intent on just not to the point where it's too self-indulgent, hopefully, but just holding a space and modeling the idea of being really shame free and really for myself, number one, just to get to know myself better and to have the nerve and the um, courage on hopefully a few days here and there to look inside deeply and then also to hold a space for other people to feel like they can have um, just a safe place to be themselves with all the parts that aren't the ones that were taught especially in this culture, um, are okay to bring out or to excavate. And inside of that, I think, is is great risk. So I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's really important. It yeah, perhaps yeah. is the most important piece of this because it's the least obvious version of what risk-taking is, I think, uh, for Taking us back to our emotional intelligence show, mm. that one of the things that actually fosters great success, better communication, more efficiency... Uh, better relationships was knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, to know yourself is to know not only the good parts, but also the more what I call difficult, they're not bad, right. the more difficult parts. And so that's a risk. And we're promoting that risk today, I yeah, think. Yeah, we are. We? Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. In fact, we're, we should share a few of our own stories. If you're just joining us, we are talking about this is one soul radio we are talking about um are you are you a risk taker or do you play it safe if you'd like to join us and share any stories or ask for any guidance or advice the number is 816-251-3555 so should we share a few of our own stories of taking risks or doing things sort of against the grain when all roads pointed to don't do it and we did it anyway yes go for it Callie. are you want me to start Yeah, that will make it easier on me so I don't have to take a risk. (laughs) Um, There's so many. There's so many. Um, One has to do with when I first started traveling. You know, I, uh, I came to traveling as somebody who's got like a real travel wanderlust soul late compared to what most people would would probably say. Um, A lot of people start in their 20s. I started in my like early, mid 30s. I had pined for years and years and years to go to all these wonderful places and had always waited for the right person and the perfect partner and the right circumstances and enough money. And then I decided one day as I was ogling some travel um, brochures that I didn't want to wait any longer because where's that, what's that going to buy me with more time? And my desire to grow and learn was really knocking at my heart and soul. And so I decided um, I was with a friend who happened to be a great traveler and somebody I didn't spend a lot of time with, but when I saw him, I was always riveted by his stories. And we were, I was living in Los Angeles. He was living in Santa Barbara. I went to visit him up in Santa Barbara. I still remember like the car he was driving, the mountain we were on, the song that was playing. And he said to me, I'm going to India. I'm going to be meeting a few friends that he had from um, Prague that were going to be in India. Would you like to come? And in that moment, 
I said yes without thinking, um, without having experience with such things. I had taken one trip a year earlier by myself to Costa Rica, which in and of itself was quite informative, and I decided I was going to go. And very long story short, um, you know, I, I all I knew was that he was going to be living near some rice paddy near some place in India on the Arabian sea. And then I should go look for, you know, by the time I get there, the guy at the bartender will know his name and where he lives and show up. And I was, and I said, okay. So this was more about taking the risk of saying yes without any comfort. Mm. You know, I remember people saying, why in the world would you go to India? You're going to get sick. You know, it was just, it was not in my culture, you know, in my circles that that was a popular thing to do. And I remember being nervous. I was shaking like a leaf the morning that a friend drove me to the airport. And needless to say, I could go on and on and on about this trip. It changed my life. First of all, I fell in love there um, and found a relationship that became a deeply, for better and worse, informative relationship, a friend of the, the friend that invited me. It opened my world up to traveling and to feeling more comfortable and more self-reliant that I could get through anything. I mean, I was alone in, you know, Delhi airport for 12 hours. I was, I trekked in the, um, in the Himalayas by my, well, with a, with a Sherpa and just me. And, you know, again, I don't want to, I don't want to speak too much about the, you know, the beauty and the privilege of the travel piece, because that's certainly a part of it too. I was lucky that I was able to do it. But it was really more about how it informed me as a human, especially as a young woman, to really become self-reliant. And it was mm. all because I said yes. That's great, Kelly. Um, so that's just, there's so many tentacles of magic that happened out of that um, story. But that's that's the gist. And it was really just, again, just about um, saying yes when everything comfortable inside of you wants to say no. What well, about you? I- I've got a, a yes and no story mm-hmm. because um, some of the listeners know about my relationship with my father, mm-hmm. which was very tenuous. And um, he was coming out to visit me in California. And I was kind of obsessed with the idea of asking him why he never told me that he was proud of me. Mm. Now, both being obsessed with this idea, it also made me absolutely nauseous. And I was nauseous for a week, for real, Mm -hmm. before he came, because I was contemplating back and forth, am I going to ask him this question? Mm -hmm. So as it turned out, I took him to a Robert Bly lecture. Robert Bly, if people don't know, is a famous American poet, but also was... Uh, a large Iron. figure in the men's movement and wrote the the book Iron John. Mm-hmm. And I had been following Robert for many years and Robert happened to be in L.A. that weekend. And I took <laughs> my father there and I thought, okay, Robert's going to help soften my father up. When I tell him that question, I'll get a really good answer. So we we were there for the first half and after the first half, during which time Robert was talking about his relationship with his father. (laughs) Totally serendipitous. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. (laughs) And so when we got up from our seats, I said, Dad, what did you think of that talk? And he said, to tell you the truth, I couldn't hear it. Oh, Lord. Because he had trouble hearing. And I thought, oh, my God, I've gone to all this trouble. What's going to happen? So anyway, at home... (laughs) What a cruel joke. A cruel stroke of fate, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, we got home, and uh, I was contemplating not doing it. And then we were sitting at the dining table, and I finally said the words, Dad, how come you've never told me you were proud of me? And my father said, well, I've told other people. I've I've told a lot of people. I said, but you've never told me. And then my father told me and I burst out crying. Mm. And then we talked. I was crying, honestly, for 45 minutes as Mm -hmm. he talked. And we talked together and hugged. And um, it was one of those times that, as you were saying, I probably grew 10 years in that 15 minutes in terms of what I accomplished for myself. Beautiful. And it wasn't just because he told me he was proud of me. It was because I asked. 
Right. Sometimes I think often that even becomes the bigger piece than the outcome of what the other person gives you is the fact that you've taken yourself to a whole other level with yourself. Right. And that's what did, I did. Did the afterglow last for you? How did it inform the rest of your life? Well, it definitely lasted. Um, I think we went back. Uh, <laughs> it's what happens. You go back to your default settings mm -hmm. to some degree. But there was a, a feeling of warmth in my heart that I carried that at least I forced him to tell me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about him? Was your relationship different with him after? Did he act differently with you? Well, that well, that's another risk, actually, I, I'd love to talk about after our break when I helped him recover from his heart operation. And I that was probably an even larger risk, I'd say it was, than the risk that I just described. All right. Well, that's a good tee up. So um, we're going to take a break. We're, we're talking about risk taking. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear... The rest of Steve's story about having more um, relation with his father. We'll share, I'll share a few more stories and we're going to talk about the virtues of risk taking and offer some action steps that can help you incorporate more risks into your life. We'll be right back. Glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, everyone, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Callie Alpert here with my friend, spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg, and we are talking about risk-taking. Are you a risk-taker or do you play it safe? We're talking about the difference between large risks, the risks, uh, the, the, the risks that people tend to associate with that word versus the smaller, more subtle ones that have everything to do with, uh, you know, range from going, getting to know yourself and sitting sort of in silence and, you know, checking into getting to know what kind of person you are and how you tick to finding your voice in relationships or at work or in your families to your parents and all kinds of risks in between. So you were starting to, you had talked about, uh, an, a formative revelatory experience you had with your dad. And then you were talking about another one, you were teeing up to another one that happened later in his life, right? Yeah, I have I have many, many, many stories. So um, everybody's. I have to thank my father mm -hmm. before we start this mm -hmm. for not being there for me because mm -hmm. it's it's been uh, quite a ride, and <laughs> some of the usefulness of it is coming out these days, right? That's really nice. Let's bless all the people in our lives that have made it really hard for us. Let's do that right now. That's a okay. really important one. Yes. So um, my father was going in for a uh, triple bypass at Columbia University Hospital in New York. And uh, I made this. I was living in California at the time. And I thought, wow, if I go back to New York for two weeks while he's in the hospital, maybe I could teach him what it means to be a father. That's a very big endeavor, especially late in life. Right. That's and so and I, I thought. I've always wanted him to be a father to me. He never met the mark. And I've always been upset about it. Yeah. So if I'm a father to him, maybe I can heal this thing. And so I went to Columbia University and we, I went in every day from New Jersey where we lived. And um, each day I walked him in his walker, in his wheelchair. I actually fed him. 
I talked to him about his dreams. If he had dreams, I told him about my dreams. And we were getting along so much better. He was really eating all this up because I realized he never had a father. Mm. And because he didn't have a father, he didn't know how to be a father to me. Exactly. And so when his three of his buddies came in from work to visit him, and one of them took me aside and said, I want to ask you a personal question. I said, yes. He said, I want to know if your father had a heart operation or a lobotomy. <laughs> and I started laughing. And he said, he's just so much nicer now. Mm. And I thought to myself, this is really working. That's, a, that's magical in uh, that short period of time. I did it for two full weeks. The result was that I felt much taller, and I mean this. I felt like I had grown two inches. I felt much stronger. I felt much deeper. I felt more grounded than I ever, ever had in my life. And so my actions toward him created something in me that changed me. Mm. And our relationship changed until he died about 10 years later. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And what a great risk that must have felt like for you to take <sighs> at the time. I think the biggest, that really was the biggest I ever took. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I relate to that so deeply. I think about another, one of the greatest risks I've ever taken uh, was finding a voice with my mother. Having grown up with a mom with a borderline narcissistic spectrum personality disorder, not quite diagnosed, and never having my own voice, never having a sense of individuation, always sort of living inside of the projection of what was wanted of us, my sister and I, to make somebody else happy. And I didn't have this language back then. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I actually uh, started going to therapy because of a relationship that um, was a very challenging relationship. And it's so magical how you start therapy for one reason and then it opens up all the other <laughs> right. Pandora's boxes and you get to the truth again of really, it's never about that other person or that situation <laughs> or that circumstance or that romance that gets yeah, you to therapy. It's right. always about, all right, brother and sister, now you got to turn the mirror on yourself and look at all the reasons that you are right. here. So um, that became a huge journey. It still is an active journey for me. Um, but ultimately after... I would say 15 years in therapy where I was terrified every time my therapist, my, the primary therapist that I went to for many years in New York City would say to me, you need to have a conversation with your mom and say, mom, when you say X, Y, and Z, or you act X, Y, and Z, this is how I feel. This is how it affects me. I never had the chutzpah or the bravery to say that. I was so conditioned mm -hmm. to have swallowed my voice. Mm -hmm. And finally, one day, only seven years ago, so I'm 57 plus now, when I was 50 years old, something in me just finally woke up and I thought, I can't go another day not doing this because the risk of not doing it was greater than the risk of trying. Absolutely. And I had this moment and I did, and it doesn't even matter what the subject matter of the day was or how she responded, but I did. And after the conversation, I was probably sitting in my car, I, re I recall, and I remember just falling into tears because the relief of 50 mm -hmm. years of this dynamic finally cracking mm -hmm. open a little bit and the support that I felt toward myself. And I took myself out for like a lobster dinner that night to celebrate. <laughs> I remember sitting somewhere in the Hudson River, like in upstate New York, not far from where I live now, actually, with like a lobster cocktail and, you know, and, and, a, and a drink and, um, and really noting that moment because it was so long and coming and all I really had to do mm. was just honor myself. So the idea, because I think that this is probably one of the areas where we all cheat ourselves the most and are the most risk adverse has to do with yes. supporting ourselves and following our own hearts and souls, whether it's the career we really want to have or the relationship we really no longer want to be in the ways we feel stuck, 
the ways we get indoctrinated yes. and check the boxes and realize it's against our grain. Yes. Breaking out of those things requires risk. And to me, the rewards are the greatest I can name. Yeah, you know, what you're doing is bringing me into my office because I'm thinking that probably everybody comes in in order to take risks. Mm. They don't know it yet, though, do they, when they walk in? A, a few, they? I would say 40% want to do it and 60 don't, mm -hmm. even though they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not sure yet. And so everybody's coming in to take a risk about something or multiple things. And uh, that's really like the grist for the mill in therapy are the risks that we get to take after we feel brave enough and confident enough in ourselves to do them. And they change our lives, just like the ones that we're talking about today. Yeah. It's, so, it's like, yeah, go ahead. No, so I, I'm reminded of the stuntman who came in to see me, a, a kind of a famous Hollywood stuntman. Mm -hmm. And he sat down and he began to describe his last stunt. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is fun. Yeah. Right? So he was on, they were filming him on a 35-foot cliff, jumping into a six-foot wide pool of water. Wow, that requires Which, a little of risk. I got, I started perspiring just listening to it. Mm. And he said, halfway down, I stopped thinking about what I was doing and started imagining what my next stunt was going to be. Oh, wow. In order to feel that I was taking a risk. Oh, wow, because he'd become so desensitized to his job or so desensitized to doing these things that he thought to himself after he finished doing it successfully that I'm in big trouble because mm -hmm. if I'm not in the present moment when I'm doing this stuff, I'm going to head, I'm going to be heading south pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So because of that, on his way down to the six-foot pool, he said, I'm going to therapy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not the, is that how most people find you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Diving off a 35 foot yeah. cliff. So what's the bottom, what's the, uh, before we take our next caller, what is the, um, what's the punchline of that in terms of how this person was, uh, had a relationship to risk taking? So well, it kind of well, sounds like the, the opposite side of the coin, like the opposite side the of the punchline was his job was risk taking. Right. And his risk taking became so mundane in a job where it can't be mundane, that he has to, he had to really recalibrate his life mm. and think about what it was in his life that made all of this mundane, that what we actually talked about was there were all these other risks in his life that he wasn't taking. Mm. In his relationship with his mm -hmm. parents, he wasn't taking those risks. Right. He was taking the big ones. And if you take the big ones, sometimes you can forget about the others. Right. It's a great distraction. Yeah, that's true. There's people that are so routine adverse that they're so lost. They're so lost in the idea of taking risk that they're not uh, balancing it out with the groundedness or the, uh, you know, the deeper, more personal, like intimate work. Right. Because they're macro. They're, they've mastered the macro risk, right. but the internal risk. So we have a caller on the line. Let's see. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Now, my question is not about jumping off of a 35-foot cliff, <laughs> but this, this it's kind of my little cliff. Um, my name is Jan, and I'm calling from Los Angeles. Thank you. I was just um, going to ask you. Okay. Hi, Jan. Hi. Um, I've been in a COVID lockdown, like almost all of us, for over a year, and mm -hmm. I'm finding it difficult to go out again. I, mm -hmm. I feel somewhat shell-shocked, and even going to the grocery store is something that I'm finding I don't want to do. I'm so comfortable in the life that I have now, and but how can I feel comfortable getting back into a normal life? Mm. 
Are you an introvert by, um, by nature or an extrovert? Not to, to oversimplify, but is that part of this for you? Um, I, in my older age, yes, I'm more of an introvert. I love my own company. Um, I'm, I'm an artist, so that comes out of my aloneness and my quietude. Mm. So I guess I would consider myself an introvert, yeah. Yeah, I um, I know a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of conversations that go on around this in introvert circles because <laughs> it's been a wonderful reason for people to not go out. I had a conversation with, this, uh, with a friend of mine earlier today about this um, because a lot of people have gotten really accustomed and feel really safe in the confines of their own home and their worlds, their physical worlds getting smaller. I, um, yeah. You know, I last week went for um, to get vaccinated, and when I got there, I started crying, not from the tears of joy that a lot of people are. First of all, I was really creeped out by the logistics there, and this, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. It felt like a very strange situation, but it was also a very, there was a, a gravity and a reminder to me, like, wow, this is marking the end of a chapter. This is marking the end of a very deep level of personal initiation that I've gone through, but also a habituation of exactly what you're describing. I'm not an introvert, but I have gotten habituated to my little routine, my little life, my little space I'm living in, um, you know, things being extremely limited, not a lot of breaking out, like really taking it inside. So um, number one, I just want to acknowledge that I understand how you're feeling and I, and it's something that I've been hearing a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I'd like to hear from Steve in terms of how we, you know, best break out of that. Like for me, I'm just kind of determined to force myself, but I don't know if that's the most, you know, keen has, um, psychological answer. Well, that has validity too. But um, I've had this question come up over and over again <clears throat> with my clients over the last month or two since the lockdown has been uh, changing. And the first thing you always want to do with the parts of ourselves that are uh, scared would be to honor that. Mm -hmm. And and so you want to honor where you've been for a year. Okay. Honor the fact that um, you've made it. <laughs> you, yeah. You're actually alive. You didn't mm -hmm. get COVID. You mm -hmm. made it. You took good care of yourself. You stayed mm -hmm. in a lot. You wore your mm -hmm. mask, you're socially mm -hmm. distanced. Mm -hmm. All of that is to be honored. Most of us never thought we'd be put in solitary confinement for a year. And, you know, people in solitary confinement have a very difficult time leaving when they open the door. I don't know if you know that. I don't. That that, that environment becomes the only environment that they can relate to. So this is a powerful experience. And what I'd say to you mm -hmm. is to start by first honoring and honoring what you've been through, but then to begin to take uh, small excursions where there aren't a lot of people. Now, I don't know if you've done that yet. Have you done anything like that? That's a great idea. Not, not um, you know, not consciously. But I will yeah. do that. Yeah, so get familiar with your environment again, mm -hmm. where there's not too much socialization. I think what COVID does did and is still doing is making us scared of being around other people. Yeah. Where, where before we were um, very familiar with touching people, with holding people, with shaking their hands, with hugging them with kissing them, uh, not being afraid to rub up against somebody, not, you know, just out of, out of uh, being in a store or something. But now we're afraid of touching people. We're afraid of the germs that people carry. We're afraid of socialization. And also know that so many people are nervous about that. So I would start with small excursions and then, you know, go into the supermarket early in the morning, maybe at 7 o'clock or 
and be in the store without many people in there and buy some of your favorite food and make it fun for yourself. And that's one way to kind of acclimate to a new reality. That's great. Does that help? That helps a lot, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, Uh, I can relate to what you said about going to the um, vaccine place because I had my second shot yesterday. And I I had had a um, response to the first shot, so I was terrified to get the Mm -hmm. second. Finally Mm -hmm. got the second, and after it was injected and I was in the waiting area, I find I found myself uh, crying, just mm-hmm. from gratitude that I live in a place that I can get a shot, and um, just relief that it's over now. I've done mm-hmm. it, and maybe that was like you know what? Maybe that was a first step out. <gasps> yeah, there you go. Yeah, in some ways, I mean, that's what my tears were not even tears of, I'm, they weren't tears, frankly, of gratitude and of joy. They were tears of, holy, you know what, now what? You know, now now there's wow. a whole new chapter, like another graduation that's going to be asked of us. And I was feeling yeah. overwhelmed by that. Wow. Beyond all the other pieces, which, you know, I acknowledge too. So I think that there's also something here where, separate from the um, re-entering and reassimilation, is to hold on to the bits and pieces that we have learned from this, like Steve said, to honor and maybe take with us. I think there's a lot of people that don't want to go back to quote-unquote normal, that want to really take take uh, some of the lessons, some of the more beautiful pieces of what's been a really difficult challenge for a lot of people and hold them, whether it's, you know, again, more tolerance or more compassion or a smallness for your life or less need to go shopping and buy new shoes. I mean, I'm, I don't mean, you know, I mean, there's so many trivial ones and right, then there's right, some very deep right. um, ones that have more to do with the larger issues of humanity. But I feel like if we can all reassimilate and at the same time, hold on to some of the more valuable little pearls that we've learned, we might find yeah, a beautiful, happy medium. The, the unknown that we don't know. Like this morning I was talking to a girlfriend in Paris that I've not spoken to in months and she did have COVID a few months ago. And she's fine now, but she had had an illness that was pain that nobody, no doctor could find what the cause was of the pain. And the COVID healed the pain. Oh, oh wow. Wow. Wow, that I haven't heard. There's probably wow. bigger things here than we know yet. It would make sense on a physiological level that the COVID stimulated the immune system. And when the immune system was that highly stimulated, it healed something else in the body. That's, that's very possible. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both. I, I, I love this show. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for calling and blessings going forward with all of it. For everybody. Yes. For everybody. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you know, that's, that's a great important, um, question that, that, uh, Jan brings up because it is a conversation that a lot of people are having. You know, I think that, uh, like the, the recommend, you know, some of the recommendations that you mentioned, I, me, somebody who's very, has a spatial sensitivity anyway, and doesn't like brushing up against people that I don't know and has, sort of spatial boundaries and sensitivities when I'm out in, you know, crowds, part of the reason that I really wanted to divest from my life in New York City many years ago. Um, So it's been, that part hasn't been new for me, seeking wide open spaces, going to the supermarket at very early hours. Um, But yeah, I think that on some level, as much as we were all forced into something that uh, was not by our own conscious choosing, that we're all starting to recognize that there are some virtues that we're grateful that we experienced, even if it was under a very, very tough situation. And also going forward again, like none of this is done. And this is a very deep transitional period. And there's politicizing going on about masks and vaccines. And I think all that's going to accelerate and cause a lot of different sense of chasm. So I think we all have to really hold on, take our little risks where we can to rejoin the world, right? And breathe. I'm rejoining. 
You're going to rejoin the world? Yep, I have already. I went out to dinner. Oh, good. So and good. I ate inside a restaurant for the first time in a year. Oh, I'd like to, I'll have to hear that story. I'll oh, my God. It was so that. great. I want to hear about that. Um, so let's talk about our action steps with our remaining moments. Uh, these are action steps that we hope will help to um, people to just sort of um, maybe think a little bit more about the different ways that risks can benefit your life in big and small ways. So the first one is to sit and just think about what risks have you taken lately and note them. Have you spoken up for the first time? Have you maybe changed your internal self-speak with yourself, you know, your internal dialogue? That can be a risk, just changing that up, changing a habit every day. Um, second action step is think about the places where you're still feeling limited and make a list, maybe write down like three of them. And then across from that sheet of paper, make a list of what would change it. Is there one action, for example, one conversation or uh, one activity or one way of changing your mind um, that might forward, you know, further, further um, you and that trajectory of taking risk. And then finally, what risk haven't you taken that you wish you did just as a, another way to sort of wake up the barometer and get a sense of your relationship with the different type of risks that you've, that you've taken or not taken. Hmm. So again, you like those? I do. I'm so glad since you came up with them with me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So finally, um, just to repeat, uh, number one, think about risks that you've taken lately and just note them. Just have a little bit of fun taking a little pride in in yourself and what it is that you've accomplished. Secondly, think about places where you'd like to, where you're feeling a little bit limited, where you'd like to find a little bit more growth, where perhaps there's an opportunity to take a risk, either big or small. And take a, and list what it would be that would change it. Try to take maybe one step or at least sit, sit with it and think about the idea of what it would feel like to take that one step. And then finally, think about the risks that you haven't taken that you wish you did. You know, there's that famous expression when you're on your deathbed at 102 and you look back, are you regretful about the things you have done or the things you haven't done? And I think most expert, experts would say that um, most people regret what they have not tried versus what they have tried, right? Hmm. Yeah. So (laughs) that's always been one of my big like interview in my back pocket questions. Maybe it's lost its luster, but that was always a favorite question of mine as as an interviewer. So with that, we want to thank everybody for joining us. As always, you mean a lot to us. The show means a lot to us. We want to thank Unity Online Radio. We want to thank Jeff, as always, for guiding us behind the scenes. If you'd like to listen to this podcast, it's available on the Unity Online Radio website. You can find us at One Soul Radio on Instagram, One Soul Radio Podcast on Facebook. Please engage with us. Let us know topics that you'd like us to discuss, issues you might be having that you'd like answers to. And join us next week, same place, same time, when we do a show called The Art of Forgiveness. And we'll look at some deeper ways that the idea of forgiveness can benefit our lives. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.